HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Camping Vacations. Ah, the great outdoors. Tired of the built environment? Get away from cell signals, the comforts of home, and all that healthy food. Remember the good old days, fishing, laughing, and relaxing by a fire with your favorite adult beverage. Next time you think vacation, think Camping Vacation. Brought to you by the North Shore Raccoon Council, who reminds you to just leave your food laying around. We'll take care of it. What's up? Welcome back. This is episode number 91. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you go further and faster in the field of HVAC. Our purpose here is really to share stories, interview industry experts, and add to your HVAC knowledge base. So if you're new here, and I've kind of said this over and over again, but you know, it, it's I think it's it's definitely if you appreciate the content that you get in these HVAC 360 podcasts, I think you should go over to HVAC360.com and sign up for the my list. Um, we share a just a short weekly newsletter. Um, I share more stuff there, more stories, play some games, have a photo flaw game that we play weekly, and. Uh, generally share more free learning opportunities as well there so all right and the best part is like i said i keep them short so what's up for this week this week i just wanted to get on and share about a couple of lessons learned that i had with uh, a recent project where i commissioned a whole bunch of fan coil four pipe fan coil units and wanted to kind of share that with you so uh, I'll do that after a brief word from our sponsor. All right, so what did I learn? Um, I learned a number of things. This was this was a uh, this one of the second jobs that I did uh, involving the four pipe fan coil unit. So I'm kind of wrapping up a bunch of lessons learned for you. And I guess the first thing I have to uh, say is this is a kind of a, a mid-rise apartments. Uh, they used a four-pipe fan coil system, so it was it was kind of deluxe in that sense. Um, and I remember talking to the engineer uh, about this project way back when, and uh, she was a little disheartened about you know, hey, I'm getting assigned to this you know this this apartment building, and it's just. It's apartments. There's there's nothing too exciting about it. And I remember looking around. And I go, oh, you know what? There is nothing exciting about it. But if you get one apartment right and you get the whole layout kind of right, then you don't have problems. Because if you have problems, if you make one mistake in a simple design where it's magnified over multiple suites, you really got a big problem. Uh, so. If something's simple and you're doing a lot of it, spend a little extra time to make sure that you're doing everything exactly right. I guess that that's really the lesson learned here because if you do not, um, then it's just going to magnify itself. So that's, that's, that's one of the first lessons learned. Uh, moving on to design thoughts. Okay, so what happened in this particular project? Um, this particular project, the four pipes uh, were kind of tucked 
behind the fan coil unit. I know you can't really see it, so I'm going to try to uh, visually describe it for you. But imagine that um, the you enter the you enter the suite, and there's a closet to your left. And all you see is the faceplate of the fan coil unit. The rest of the unit is in that closet. Uh, it's a utility closet. And what they had done is they had kind of tucked, and it, and it's not, it's probably about, I don't know, maybe like six inches deeper. The closet's six inches deeper than the actual unit itself. So there's a little space, and then tucked in behind in this dead space where you can't really get to are the four four pipes um, plus a, uh, a condensate drain. So it was actually five pipes. Uh, and this kind of went up and down as a riser all the way through the building. Now, that is uh, really, really hard to get to. Um, there's a couple of different things that you, you really have to uh, think about uh, in designing that. I mean, it, on paper, it looks great, but you don't really know exactly what the construction sequence is. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, placing, you know, if the unit was placed uh, in the, the right spot the first time around um, and they, they built all the walls around it, that's one way you can think about it. Um, but what if it's the last thing that gets put into place and then they have to add some of the pipes behind it? Um, I think that's a lot of times engineers don't necessarily think about construction sequences, but that's kind of, you know, in this, in this case, this is what happened to it. In fact, these, these units, um, and I, and I guess maybe it's more typical for them to just be, you know, put in a room and then walled around, um, you know, say in a hotel or something like that, but you really, uh, uh, they're really, they actually, they were really tall. They were actually taller than a standard door opening. Um, so when they built the room and then they got the units delivered, they had to kind of shimmy them up into the small, um, into the small storage room where they're going to be set. And then they cut the opening uh, in the storage room and they kind of, you know, moved it in front there. So, Construction sequence is something that, that you need to think about and how it's actually going to be put in there. So are these things going to be accessible? Um, I know that a lot of engineers would be like, well, you don't really want to see the pipes and that's kind of ugly and this, that, and the other thing. But realistically, there's a number of problems that occur when you start hiding things uh, if it's not accessible. And uh, some of the things is that uh, the units were placed and then you had to make some, uh, some of the piping was already pre-assembled uh, with the unit, which is good, uh, but there were still uh, pipe joints and they used the ProPress system. Um, if you're not familiar with that, uh, go look it up. The ProPress system, they used the ProPress system to make the connections behind the units. So um, if you're a contractor and you are uh, thin, uh, short, <laughs> Or, you know, I mean, thin or short, you were kind of pegged for this kind of duty. There are spots that really, when engineers just kind of throw things in there, it's going to be you that's going behind the units. Um, and, you know, they know and they don't really, they don't really appreciate it. They, you know, they want, they want their skills to shine, but they don't want to necessarily be given a job just because of their uh, physical parameters. So... Anyway, that's, uh, you know, to boot, I guess I couldn't even get my head and shoulders 
to look around the unit to actually inspect it. Um, I had to use a mirror uh, for all the units. And that was kind of something that, you know, is either hit or miss. I'm using a mirror to kind of, you know, look at everything. Uh, you know, things could be hidden. Think, you know, the, the inspection wasn't perfect. I did the best I could. And that's all you really can ask in this sort of situation. But if you want your design to be, you know, really, you know, inspected, really uh, to work well, uh, you have to consider all these things. Um, there was even some uh, openings, and I, and I guess you can kind of have uh, some construction sequence concerns here where uh, when you uh, start drilling into the concrete, you can, you can lay out the walls on the floor and you can kind of like put a track down or whatever, whatever the general contractor typically does. Um, they might just snap a line to where the, where the walls are going to go. Um, and then to actually... Um, uh, cut holes for the risers they have to you know core drill the concrete so they're going to pour the concrete and uh, this was a concrete slab so they had to core drill the holes and are you going to get those holes precisely where you absolutely need them uh, no they're they're going to be a little off uh, generally speaking they're going to be okay but you know if you're anticipating that you're going to be able to tuck everything tight up against the wall and it's going to go you know wall pipes unit and it's and they're just going to be you know really exact uh it's gonna it's not gonna happen that way and the problem is is that in this one particular unit one suite is that they needed that to happen of course it didn't happen and the unit ended up being uh, it inter interfered with the door swing. So once you put the door on, you couldn't open it up. So they ended up trying to, you know, shove the unit back as, as much as they could. They did a, a few modifications and they, they got the clearance just right, just enough. Um, I'm sure if the, if the door expands, you know, <laughs> due to some, you know, thermal variation during the summertime, uh, it may stick a little bit or it might just start rubbing up against the, um, uh, the unit and kind of wearing off some of the paint. Um, so that is something that you need to definitely think about um, when you're laying out design. Um, what about responsibility? Uh, it, when you, you uh, talk about commissioning, um, uh, there are certain contractors take certain responsibility. Um, who's going to do everything? You, as, as a designer, you're like, okay, well, it's just the mechanical contractor's responsibility, right? Well, a lot of times it doesn't play out that way. And I guess I'll, gi I'll give you the scenario of this particular project where you have the uh, prime mechanical contractor. Um, they were doing most of the just sheet metal work. And, you know, you can have sheet metal work, you can have piping work, um, and they can be done by different contractors. Well, the plumber was doing the piping in this case, uh, and then the mechanical contractor was just doing the equipment and the sheet metal. Uh, so you kind of get this, you know, who's responsible for what and really where that came into effect, um, especially when you factor in the equipment manufacturer, is who's ultimately responsible for performing the startup of this equipment. Um, sometimes it's going and, and you know, it, it all depends on, you know, who buys the equipment, what kind of uh, things that they 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 bought it with. Uh, did they buy the startup with it? Did they not buy the startup with it or did they um you know is this one of the things that um 
they forgot. Uh, so it it could be that ultimately the mechanical contractor is going to be responsible for it, but you know he'd like to have somebody else do it, especially when it's like it's like seventy seven units here. So it's something that's going to take you know a lot of time uh, to do, uh, you know, going through the entire building. And now I'm I talk about a little bit about sampling. I think I probably touched on this before, but sampling and commissioning, it's by the book, sampling is part of the game. Um, however, I'm not a big fan of sampling. Um, and, you know, I guess sampling in this case, I guess uh, since it's a, a mid rise building. Um, the contractor did a really great job on the upper floors. However, the very uh, first floor, which happened to be the second floor, the very uh, first floor that was installed was actually done by another contractor. They, they switched uh, installing contractors after the second floor. So there were some issues with the second floor units for whatever reason. It, it doesn't seem like it would be uh, the type of thing that you could blame on the installing contractor, but for whatever reason, and the second floor uh, had a number of units that were just, you know, there was something wrong with them. So if you sampled the upper floors, you could have completely missed the issues on the second floor. Uh, and that is kind of why I don't necessarily believe in sampling. I kind of uh, take, the, take the tack that if you're going to, you know, commission equipment, um, you can commission. I would rather commission equipment at a just a higher level, so you don't go into as much detail um, and do all of it, rather than go into great detail just on a few samplings. Um, I mean, you know, in this case where you have multiple fan coil units like this, you could have sampled, you know, ten percent of, uh, you know, what you've installed. And that would be completely acceptable uh, per the, you know, per the guidelines. Um, you know, you may even have kicked it up to 30% if you wanted to be extra sure. But you're still going to miss things. Uh, the problem is, is that, uh, you know, especially if the startup was so varied, uh, you're going you're gonna to run into situations um, where there's, there's, you know, things that are wrong. So what could be what could be wrong? Well, a lot of the units, uh, they weren't started up. Um, you know, I get on site and they're just not on. You know, so it's like not not only, you know, are they, you know, they not working. We have the chilled water. It's up and running. Um, and we want to be able to test out these units. Um, so, you know, you have to look. It is the breaker on the inside. There's There was a disconnect switch on the inside. Is that on? Okay, you flip that on. Still no power. Okay, what do you go to next? Well, there's you know a panel in every single uh, suite, so you go to that. Is is that on? Um, is the main breaker off? Um, and, and you know that's the sort of thing that you want to be very careful. If something's off at the breaker panel, um, you definitely want to talk to the electrician before you do anything. Um, this is totally a safety thing, and you really want to make sure that you know if if the, the whoever's in charge of the, the electrical foreman says, "Hey, no, we have these off because we're working in this one area," you know, you just leave it leave it and move on, um, and you make note of it. 
But sometimes they're like, mm, you know, I mean, in this case, it was like, uh, I don't know. Uh, it was just turned off. So you were able to, you know, and there was no reason why any of these suites, uh, why they were turned off. So, but again, there's a process of communication that you need to go through. Don't just always assume that, that you can go and, and, and turn stuff on, especially in a panel. So once you get the unit on, um, you know, are the valves working? You know, and that's that's something that in this case, sometimes they're hard to see. In this case, they were pretty obvious to see. Uh, but I think the, the one interesting thing and the lesson learned that I'm going to pass on here is that you don't necessarily valves. Once the unit just gets started up, um, there is a certain kind of, I don't know, it seems like a break-in protocol for these valves. And again, they weren't necessarily started up by somebody who did it every day. Um, and this may not necessarily even be, they might just say, hey, this is more of a, just a, um, you know, a product, something that's, that's, that's kind of generic um, that doesn't get a specific startup form. They just turn it on and let it go. It should work, right? Well, the valves didn't necessarily do that. Um, the thing that you needed to do and thing that you needed to understand is that, hey, you need to put it into cooling mode. You needed to put it into heating mode. You needed to put it in a cooling mode again. Um, and then it's it everything worked the way it should. It, the valves just needed to kind of get, you know, they needed to exercise once through their complete cycle because um, some were stuck open. Some well, not stuck necessarily, but some were uh, you know open. Some were clo you know closed. So you needed to cycle them to get them into a configuration that matched the thermostat. So what what you would expect, um, and that was something that. You know, it's a little bit different. A lot of times, too, these valves um, and each situation is is rather different. Uh, sometimes I've run into situations where these valves aren't mounted, where the actuators aren't mounted to the valves, and you find the valves or the uh, actuators just free rotating on the valves, uh, so they're not connected. Sometimes they weren't they weren't uh, reacting like they should, um, and a few of the times. Um, you know, it's just a matter of these um, quick connects inside the unit. Sometimes the quick connects, they're, they're very touchy and they, you know, I don't know if they necessarily go bad, but if you, if you kind of squeeze them or if you disconnect them and reconnect them, all of a sudden the valve starts working for, you know, no particular reason other than you just, you know, kind of confirmed that, yes, in fact, it was, it was together. Um, there's a few units where the, uh, uh, the actuator wasn't plugged in. There was a plug that was just kind of dangling there and you could just kind of plug it in and get it to work. Um, and this is some of the things that, you know, you could be the kind of commissioning agent that goes in and just kind of notes everything. Um, but this is, you know, becomes a big problem that you get a big long list that's just, you know, it's open, you know, and it's, it's identified but you have to have somebody else go in and fix it where, you know, you take the approach that I, I do is this is something relatively simple. I will note it on my, you know, on my uh, checklists. I'll plug it in. I'll check it, make sure it works and I'll move on. Um, it is, you know, it, it's something that you just take care of. Don't put it back on the contractor to make a huge long list. Um, especially in the situation where 
you know, there's 77 of these things. So you, you have to go through and, and, you know, make sure each one's working. Um, because if not, you're really kind of doing this as a service to the owner because ultimately they want to be able to move people in there and start renting it and, and, and you know, get revenue. So you don't want to be that kind of person that, hey, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, it's going to get on a list. I'm going to send to the contractor. The contractor is going to look at it for a couple of weeks, and you're going to get back to it. We just didn't have the time in this case, but it's still not. If it's something that you can fix quickly and it doesn't take a lot of time and it's not technical, um, definitely do it. Um, just do it, note it, and say you fixed it. So it gets on the list. You identified it that you had to do it, and you know, just move on. I mean, there's other things that scenarios that I run into. Um, if the valve's not, you know, mounted correctly, you know, okay, that's, that's kind of beyond you. Um, if there was, uh, you know, a unit where the valves were shut off. Um, so I turned on the valves and the chilled water, everything, you know, everything was fine. I turned on the hot water, all of a sudden, you know, there's a huge spray of water. So I, you know, shut it off real quick. And, you know, that's a, a piping uh, leak that needs to be addressed by the contractor. There's there's nothing I can do about it. Um, so th- there's there's a lot to do uh, with the valves and, and and checking them out and just kind of you know uh, making sure that everything's working right. Now, what about performance? Performance on these things, you know, it either works or it doesn't. I guess a couple of different things that I look for when I'm checking out fan coil units, and what I like to do is kind of, you know, turn it into cooling mode, let it run for a while, and what you'll end up seeing is that there's going to be, the pipes are going to end up sweating. So they should be sweating inside the unit. Um, If there's chilled water in there, you're going to get moisture condensing on the pipes, and, and that kind of confirms to me at least that cold chilled water is flowing through um, you know that side of the coil um, on the heating side if you have the heat operating uh, you know open that up put it into heating mode and then if it gets warm um, you know that's a that's a clear signal that it is at least heating um, a lot of times what you might find in units like these where they get airbound and depending on how it's constructed how it started up, uh, there are some things that you can do um, in the design of it to prevent air from get a lot of air from getting into the system. But there's you know there's vents on the coils typically, and those you can you can vent out. I mean typically that should be some again one of those things that was done by the startup people. But you know in some scenarios that's just you know you gotta you gotta bleed some air for them. Um, you know, just to, just to kind of speed things along and make sure things are, are running okay. You know, you want to be able to rule out the fact that it's airbound and, and not some other problem that you're not detecting because there's a lot of air in the, in the, air in the coil. Um, and, you know, again, air gets stuck in the coil. It, it just happens. So that's one of the things that, uh, that you can do to make sure that the heating and cooling is working correctly on a performance basis. And typically, uh, you know, in, in situations like, like this, I'll usually go floor by floor or area by area and just kind of set it to coolings and let it run maybe even overnight and see if those spaces get to set point. Um, you may not necessarily, depending on the size of the coils and the size of the spaces, you may not necessarily see that right away. So you might have to let it run for a couple of hours. Uh, but that's a good indication that you're meeting set point. Um, the reason that I do that in this scenario is that these are, uh, 
you know, even though they're kind of smart thermostats, they're not networked together. So it's not like I can trend them through the building automation system. That just that's not an option. So you really have to go through and make sure that okay, every, you know, all the units are heating, all the units are cooling. Um, and that they're working properly. I mean, if you already checked the valves, I think you've kind of narrowed it down to a few things. Uh, but still, there might be, for whatever reason, uh, there it might not heat or cool properly. So you need to be able to kind of identify those areas and kind of mark those for the uh, ma- the uh, mechanical contractor to get back to. So. I think that pretty much covers all the all the different things. I mean, it's 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 one of those projects that you just end up, you know, going again, and you know, you go through these units, take them off, put them back on, um, uh, and really take a look at it. It's it's kind of a, a little fun uh, experiment uh, that you can kind of test these out. Uh, it takes a little bit longer, but still, you know, you don't spend you know a ton of time uh, going through it. Um, you know, I probably spent maybe like five ten minutes you know, per fan coil unit, eh, probably closer to five. Um, but just, you know, the, the, most of the, most of the uh, testing is involved in, uh, or most of the, the time is taking off the, all the covers and getting it ready and then putting it back, you know, putting it back together. And again, you know, this is pretty simple. I mean, this kind of, you know, the fan coils, uh, even like cabinet unit heaters, things like that, you can typically, if you have like a screwdriver, uh, if you get one of those eight-in-one screwdrivers where you can kind of, you know, it also, you can take out the the little uh, bit and you can use it on some of the uh, uh, sheet metal screws of the, the hex heads. Um, those, that's very useful. And also just a... Uh, uh, like an Allen key, um, if you have a, a set of those, that helps. I mean, typically that's all you need to get into units like these. Um, so that's all I have to share. So, hey, uh, that's a wrap for this week. I appreciate you uh, taking your time. If you have any feedback on this topic or any of the topics that we cover, or if you want to just, you know, Send me uh, send me a note. You can reach me at matt at hvac360.com. I greatly appreciate you, all of you listening. Uh, I hope this was helpful. If you know somebody who's looking into designing things like this, uh, fan coil systems or otherwise, uh, why don't you go ahead and share this episode with them? Um, it increases the value of your relationship. As I mentioned at the top of the show, get on the list at HVAC360.com. There's a lot of different things uh, with the community that we're doing there. Um, you know, again, games, extra information, extra educational opportunities. Um, we may even, you know, we may even give uh, start giveaways. So that's some of the things that if if you're part of that community, then you're going to be, um, you know, eligible for that. So definitely uh, get signed up for that. Go to that HVAC360.com and do that if you can do one thing. If you can do something else, go to iTunes and a five-star review would be greatly appreciated. Um, that does help uh, bring this uh, to the forefront of other people, um, like-minded people such as yourself. So that's a wrap for this week, uh, HVAC360. Uh, I'm Matt Nelson, helping you go further and faster in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.